I'm at the end of my journey, and I can only think of one thing, how hard it is to live like Jesus. I'm wondering if people would even want to do everything that's been mentioned in this podcast. I mean, it's difficult to let go of deep hurts. It's difficult to live with less possessions. And it's difficult to be fully yourself with community. I think we all acknowledge that this is the stuff of a meaningful life, but it's difficult to do in practice. There's a cost to pay with living like Jesus. And quite honestly, I didn't think many people wanted to pay it. A few months ago, the Christian community was flipping out because there was this Pew Research data saying that less Americans were affiliated Christians. So I thought more people were saying that the cost of Christianity was too much to pay, and they were deciding that they weren't going to pay it. Obviously, I saw this as an absolutely bad thing, like many of the media headlines were stating. But then I talked with my friend Chris Martin of MillennialEvangelical.com, and he suggested a silver lining to this whole issue. With that being said, you're listening to the season finale of the Jesus Hacks podcast. Let's get started. Yeah, I think I think we are going to have a thinner, leaner, stronger body of Christ. You know, I mean, uh, there's in the past you could say um, for all the good things the Billy Graham cru- Crusades and all of those ministries did. What it did was it gave us a, it gave us a bloated, unfit, fat body of Christ who was we had a bunch of people in us, but a lot of them were just kind of fluffy and not really working out or not really doing the <laughs> whole Jesus thing. Um, and now. You know, we we might we might be losing numbers like a like like you try to lose pounds. You know, we're losing numbers, um, but and we and we can cry about losing numbers all day. But what we need to remember, what we need to realize, what we need to remember is that sure, while our numbers may be going down, um, I think you're not we're not losing muscle. I, I think we're losing fat. You know what I mean? I, I think exactly. we're losing we're losing fluffy people who weren't really ever serious about it in the first place. Look, look the cost and look. Okay, in the United States, the cost of discipleship the cost of discipleship is nothing like it is in some place like Iraq or China or Sudan or something like that. But but we it is fair to say that the cost of discipleship in the United States is on the rise. I mean, it's fair to say that we're not yes. being we're not being killed for our faith or anything like that. Uh, but the cost of discipleship in the United States is on the rise. So as the cost goes up, people are going to say, eh, you know what? I don't really feel like paying that." Um, and the truth is they never felt like paying it in the first place. They just never were pushed. They just were never tested. They just were never, um, you know, uh, never had to deal with someone who was angry about them for their faith or things like that. So, um, just as the cost of discipleship becomes more real, people are going to own up to the fact that they were never really willing to pay it in the first place. I say all this to note that living this meaningful life of Jesus is possible. And though the numbers might indicate that Christianity is on the decline, it doesn't mean that people aren't living like Jesus or aren't taking it seriously. Nominal Christianity is on the decline, and the authentic, life-giving Christianity 
that Jesus presents to us, I believe that's on the rise. Now, it's hard to say all of this with things such as social media outrage, Donald Trump, and refugees being turned away at the borders. It's hard to say that more people are going to be living like Jesus when all this stuff is happening in the world. But there are people in the world who give me hope that this life of Jesus is possible and is happening in communities all around the world. One of those people is best-selling author and activist Shane Claiborne. As I think about people living like Jesus, I think about what Shane is doing. So to end my search on what the meaningful life of Jesus looks like practically lived out, I thought I would seek out Shane and get his perspective on living out the authentic Christianity of Jesus. Hey Shane, hey, thanks for meeting with me. Um, You are one of the last guests on this podcast. I've been sitting down with a bunch of people and asking them to share their stories of how they've lived like Jesus. And one thing that really struck me about you is this idea of being a red-letter Christian and that you you really take this call seriously about living like Jesus. So I guess one question I have for you to start out with is um, pretty uh, running out of the gate, pretty upfront question here is, what are the hard truths we have to face about what it means to live like Jesus? What do you think some hard truths are? Well, first of all, it's good to be on your show, man. I, uh, and I, <laughs> yeah, I, the the red letter Christian thing. Uh, it, it, it's actually worth saying that one of my friends was um, being interviewed, uh, probably not unlike this, by a, a secular uh, country music DJ, and. Um, the guy said, yeah, you, you know, I've read a lot of the Bible and there's parts I really like. There's parts I find kind of confusing, but uh, I've always liked the stuff in red. Uh, and he was talking about, you know, how the, the words that Jesus says in the old school Bibles are in red. And he said, yeah, I like the stuff in red and you guys seem to live out the red stuff. So you should call yourselves red letter Christians. And uh, we kind of liked it. So a lot of us uh, that sort of took off for us. And, you know, in, in the end, what I what I think about Jesus is that um, the, the Eugene Peterson's the, the message thing has a good translation of the uh, the the word became flesh and lived among us. And he says that God put skin on and moved into the neighborhood. And I think that's really what Jesus did is Jesus put skin on God's love and who who God is. So this God that's kind of a little tricky to wrap your hands around, you you know, uh, um, I am who I am, you know, and the God that's so big, like really brings it down to earth. And um, I love that we don't just have words on paper, but we have the word become flesh. And, And for me, that's also... Uh, the beginning of the the great challenge of Jesus, because Jesus is uh, inviting us not just to uh, worship. I mean, though we should worship, you know, we we do worship, but Jesus is inviting us to follow, you know, to to walk in His steps, to do the things that He preached, and and uh, uh, so you know, Jesus said some pretty pretty wild stuff. He said, "Don't." worry about tomorrow, you know, tomorrow's got enough worries of its own, live like the lilies and the sparrows, they don't worry about what they're going to wear, or how they're going to eat, and, 
you know, you kind of go, wow, what's that mean for my 401k plan? You know, or, or you, you hear Jesus saying like, love your enemies. And, um, I, I've found it impossible to reconcile loving your enemies with simultaneously preparing to kill them, you know? <laughs> so yep. There was of- an episode about that, actually, where someone, we were talking about pacifism, and he mentioned you. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, I, so I, I, these aren't always like knee, knee-jerk reactions for me, you know? They yeah. don't necessarily come instinctively to love your enemies or to like not worry about tomorrow or any number of the radical things that Jesus said, you know? And, and so I think part of what being a Christian is about is, is, uh, you know, being a disciple, disciple shares the same root as discipline. And it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, just like disciplining our bodies, we discipline, discipline our, our hearts and our, our, uh, way of living so that we're, we, we, we kind of create holy habits, you know, and we begin to surround ourselves with people who move us closer to Jesus. And so that's why community living has always been really important to me, you know, but I, I, um, yeah, I'm I'm convinced that the words of Jesus are as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago. I mean, you look at that, uh, for instance, the uh, Jesus's beatitudes. You know, where he blessed, he says, "Blessed are the poor, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy." And like you couldn't come up with much of an antithesis for the things that we admire in our culture. You know, <laughs> the meek. You know, Jesus is blessed are the meek. Like meekness is not exactly something that we uh, we we celebrate. You know, we love exactly. We love the hype. We love riches and you know Donald Trump and whatever. You know, it's a crazy world we live in. So I think like uh, uh, it, you know when 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 the gospel says that God casts the mighty from their thrones and raises the lowly. God fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty. It's it's an incredible. Um, uh, flipping of the tables, you know, in this world that, uh, I heard one preacher say one time, if we find ourselves climbing the ladder of success and status, we better be careful or else on our way up, we might pass Jesus on his way down. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's what I've been after, you know, the last, uh, bunch of years, Neil, is we've been, we've been trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. And we've been doing that here on the North side of Philly. Oh man, I love that. You know, uh, if I can back up for a sec, you know, you really mentioned uh, community living, and I know that's something really important to you and how you started The Simple Way. So can you tell us the story of how you started The Simple Way, what it's about, and what inspired you to do it, and how difficult it was? Can you share some of that story? Well, I'm sure we can get into it a little bit. I wrote, I wrote a book apparently 10 years ago. They're coming out with a 10-year anniversary edition to the thing. Uh, it's called The Irresistible Revolution, and I wrote a lot of our story in there. But basically what happened for me is I was a college student at a uh, fine university outside Philly called Eastern University, and in 1995, um, there was a group of homeless women uh, and families. And uh, this is a time where there were over 3,000 uh, families on the waiting list for affordable housing. Homelessness among women and children then and still now is was just growing rapidly. And uh, so these families got together and as winter approached, they moved into an abandoned Catholic cathedral uh, and, and they started living there. And then the archdiocese that owned the building uh, 
begin an eviction process. In fact, they gave them a two-day uh, ultimatum of 48 hours. If you aren't out, you could be arrested for trespassing on church property. And something about that just didn't feel right, you know. Uh, uh, so we we ended up going and getting involved in that. And the families had hung a banner on the front of the cathedral that said, how can we worship a homeless man on Sunday and ignore one on Monday? Uh, and it really opened our eyes, you know, to the fact that Jesus understood the struggle of these families and Jesus was uh, uh, cares deeply about injustice. So that's the that's kind of the spark that lit the fire. And that lasted for months and months. Uh, many of those families got housing. They left voluntarily uh, several months later. And we ended up moving into this neighborhood. In fact, I, I got married in the old uh, abandoned cathedral. Most of it's still abandoned. And um, and we've been living here for 20 years. Uh, so we're really inspired by these courageous homeless women uh, who are now great leaders of all kinds of different organizations and movements. Um, and we we settled into North Philly here. And we're inspired by the early church where it says, uh, in the book of Acts, that all the believers were together. They shared everything they had. No one claimed any of their possessions were their own. And it says, and there were no needy persons among them. So we love that uh, one of the signs of Pentecost was that they ended poverty because they shared their possessions with open hands. And a part of worship was uh, this radical uh, uh, sharing and redistribution of property uh, to people that needed it more and things like that. So it's a uh, it's a beautiful part of who we are, and peacemaking is a big part of that. You know, we're trying to counter the epidemic of of gun violence in our neighborhood and the escalating violence around the world. So we do that, you know, in our own hearts, but we also do it on our own block and in our own streets. But then uh, we think about the world we live in too, and. Uh, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King was such a powerful voice for this. And he said, uh, I've told the kids in the ghettos that violence won't solve their problems. But then they ask me, why does our government use massive doses of violence to try to bring the change that it wants in the world? And Dr. King said, I knew I could no longer just speak against the violence of the kids in the ghettos without also speaking against the violence of my own government. And so we we've tried to be consistent with that call, as Jesus said, to be peacemakers, you know. Um, and to live in ways that uh, move the world towards peace, one of which is to live simply. You know, as the old saying says, live simply that others may simply live. And the question, you know, uh, uh, that that I think is one of the most urgent questions in our time is, will the world ever be safe as long as masses of people live in desperate poverty while a handful of people live however they want? Um, and, and Forbes magazine now shows exactly that, that uh, 86 people, less than 100 people, the richest people in the world now own the same amount as half the world, as over 3 billion people. Uh, and, and that's just mind boggling statistics. You know that, that three people uh, own the same amount as the combined economies of 48 countries. So this this question of the inequities between the super rich and super poor is is a big one, you know, along with so many other things, you know, like that that are more um, uh, uh, related to that. You know, we look at the the re refugees and asylum seekers, you know, and and the desperate poverty there. And you see Jesus say, "When you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. When you did not welcome the stranger, you did not welcome me." And it, you know, it doesn't get. Uh, <laughs> You know, I think uh, Mother Teresa was right. She said, following Jesus is simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. 
so yep. I think there are complicated political questions and all that. But at the end of the day, the scripture is really clear that all the law can be summed up into this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when my neighbor is a homeless mom in an abandoned church or my neighbor is a refugee coming in on a ship risking their life to try to escape crisis, like what what does uh, love require of me? And that's the question we ask, try to ask every day. Oh, man, I love how you took that that command of love your neighbor as yourself. And you've made it really practical in the simple way, both at a local level and on a global level. And it's it's so cool, too, because uh, society today, this is just what I'm thinking off the top of my head, but society today, we think that we can uh, change, make change individually, almost. Uh, we love pictures of people who get to the top by themselves, but really what you guys are doing is you're creating a movement locally and that's sending ripples out globally, you know? Yeah, I, sure. Yeah. Well, I, I the, the, the old saying goes when I, when I, uh, you know, we, we give, we give someone a fish to eat for a day, but if you teach them to fish, they'll eat for the rest of their life. But we also have to ask who owns the pond, you know, and what's preventing <laughs> yep. people from being able to have access to the things that they need. Um, why does a fishing license cost so much? You know, and why is the, why does the, 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 the pond have a gate around it? And why, you know, why, why, why is the pond polluted? You know, you can't even eat fish if they're, if the pond's polluted. So I think all of those are, are really urgent questions. And, uh, and so we like to say, you know, we do, uh, give people fish and we teach people to fish, but we also do something about access to the pond. And we, we ask, uh, uh, just as we give out hundreds of food bags to people that are hungry and need food for their family, we also ask why people are hungry. Uh, and, that, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, so many other folks have been great voices in that and saying, like, we're not just called to care for the victims, but we're called to drive a spoke in the wheel that's running over them. Oh, uh, man. So, so you know, there's so many great examples of that. Tolstoy said, you know, we sit on someone's back and we look down and we feel so sorry for them and we're willing to do any for them, anything for them except get off their back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So I think we look at our lifestyle and, and, and much of it has been, uh, been built around uh, structures that have o- oppressed people. And, you know, even from the history of what we've done to natives in this country to slavery, which continues to leave um, a poisonous, uh, toxic element to our uh, systemic injustice where, where we have, uh, you know, almost one in three black men in prison right now. Um, we, we, we've got like, um, the biggest prison buildup in the history of the world. There's more people of color in prison right now than there were slaves in 1850. So this is a major uh, problem. And all of those, to me as a person of faith, it all comes back to, to, to the fact that Jesus cares about this world that we live in. And the prayer Jesus taught us is that we are to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, I, I'm convinced that Jesus didn't just come to prepare us to die. Uh, but he also yeah. came to teach us how to live. You know, we, we shouldn't just be promising people life after death. We should bring in good news before death. You know, that, that there is a God that interrupts the patterns of injustice and sets the oppressed free, that breaks the yokes that are holding people down. That That's good news to the poor. And, um, and, and if our gospel isn't good news to the poor, then it's not the good news of Jesus because that's a, uh, 
ultimately, I think God cares about everybody. You know, and Desmond Tutu says that uh, God's revolution frees up the oppressed from being oppressed, and it frees up the oppressors from oppressing. <laughs> so I, I think when we do harm to other people, we actually do great damage to ourselves because we're, we're made uh, to love and be loved. So it's, it's good for everybody in the end. Oh, man, I love that. So I guess my last question for you, you know, as I think about this idea of living like Jesus— you know, I what I've seen so far in this time that I've been making this podcast is that so many people, they simply smile at this ideal of live like Jesus, but they don't really take it seriously. They, and, you know, I know this because I'm one of these people. You know, I'm trying to shake myself of this mentality, which is why I made this podcast. You know, this whole season one, I've been trying to, as you described earlier, I'm, I've been trying to like develop these holy habits, this holy mm-hmm. concern. I've been trying to live like Jesus, and I wanted to hear those stories to uh, kind of shape my understanding of what that looks like. Um, but tell me, what are the things that we can do in everyday life to better follow those red letters in the Bible? Or I guess another way to frame the question is, what does your daily life look like as you take the words of Jesus seriously? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a lot of things. That's a great place to uh, sort of land things. Cause I, I don't think that, that uh, we, we, we don't have the tools in our toolbox. I think sometimes we just don't use them, you know? And, and, and um, when I look at um, one of the things that we've been doing in our community is we were very active kind of instinctively, but we, we got to take care of ourselves too, you know, so that we can sustain it for the long run. And, uh, and so we created a prayer book a few years ago called common prayer. And, uh, it's also a lot of it's online commonprayer.net, you know, and it's ways that we can pray through, uh, the day together. Uh, so that's been a really great tool for us because what we do in the common prayer book is we connect, um, the, the world we live in to our prayer life. So we remember, you know, different saints, but we also remember history. You know, we remember it. This is the day that Rosa Parks got arrested on that bus. You know, this is the day that Oscar Romero was killed in El Salvador. This is the day that we bombed uh, Hiroshima or Nagasaki so we can remember history. And, and, and as Karl Barth said, read the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, you know, so see that our our faith uh, has to connect to the world we live in. So I think prayer life is a really big one. Uh, the other thing I think is that there's a lot of spiritual disciplines that we can do, like um, uh, things like uh, uh, fasting, you know, um, and and that's a great tradition, a way that a lot of folks have gone without different things so we can be sensitized to God and also to our neighbors who are suffering, who who. I go without food, not by choice, but it makes us more sensitive, I think. And in our world of such gluttony and, you know, a lot of us can't even remember the last time we were re- truly hungry, you know. So I think it it, to, it allows us to, to grow a real spiritual hunger for people. So fasting and great books like Richard Foster's work, uh, um, the, the, the Celebration of Discipline, Renovari, you know, they have great resources on uh, uh, the spiritual disciplines and things like silence and solitude and learning to uh, uh, really learn to pray, you know. And the other thing I'd say is like hanging out with people 
who uh, look like the kind of person you want to become uh, is really great. Community has been a, a huge part of the Christian walk uh, from the very beginning. You know, Jesus modeled community for us and sent the disciples out in pairs. He, he said, wherever two or three of you gather in my name, I'm with you. So I think sometimes we just think we can be Lone Ranger, you know, radical Christians. But I think really the way that we grow in our faith is by hanging out with people who are a step ahead of us, you know, and, and they kind of, and we rub off on each other. Uh, so if you want to be more generous, uh, hang out with generous people. You know, if you want to take more risks, hang out with some daredevils. You know, I think that's like that, that the people that have inspired me, so many of them are like 85 years old and they're, uh, the, the, they, they just radiate Jesus's love, you know? So I think we need to do that. Uh, and sociology, uh, sociologists talk about a plausibility structure. You know, I think part of what we do, too, is we give each other courage together that we don't just muster up on our own, you know. So uh, so keep hanging out with people that stretch you and uh, keep praying and keep acting, you know, uh, together. And uh, and the last thing I'd say, bro, is uh, I think sometimes we get so excited about Jesus and we want to follow him and then we fall short and we beat ourselves up so bad. And I think in the end, it's also really important to remember that mercy triumphs over judgment, you know, and that that uh, we don't we're not doing this because we're trying to earn God's salvation, you know, earn God's love or earn our, our salvation. Uh, but but we we do it to demonstrate it, you know, and as a great woman, Jackie Pollinger said, our works don't earn our salvation, but they do demonstrate it. You know, they show when we feel loved by God, it makes it should make us loving people in the world. You know, so I and when we fall short, we, we trust in God's grace uh, and, and we know that God is good and that God doesn't love us because we are good. God loves us just because. And, and when we when we understand that, it helps us be a little become a little better for the world and for ourselves. Man, I love it. You know, Shane, one thing that I'm drawing from our conversation together, simply put, is that it is possible to live like mm-hmm. Jesus. You know, it is possible to at least to at least try to uh, live by those red letters. You know, we don't have to just abandon it as this ideal we just smile at. We can, there are things we can practically do in our daily lives. Things such as community, prayer, all that. And, you know, in this podcast, so many people have shared just radical stories of times in which they just leaned in to God and had these intense moments of prayer, these wonderful moments of community. And because of that, uh, like movements were started. People came around these just so many wonderful things. And really, as I just think about it, you know, this is this is what it means to live a meaningful life. You know, Jesus showed us how to live and all these things that you've said, uh, they really, they really demonstrate what a meaningful life looks like. So thanks for that, man. Yeah. Well, God's good. And we're, we're, rest of us are holding on for the ride, but it's a beautiful one. So it's good talking to you, man. So there you have it. For three months, I've been sitting down with people trying to discover what the character of Jesus looks like practically lived out. And I think I've arrived somewhere. Of course, I don't have a perfect understanding on this matter, 
but I do believe I have an inkling of how we can create meaningful lives every day. I saw how people uh, were taking their faith and making it applicable to matters of daily life. So with this understanding, I'm taking it back to JesusHacks.com. And I'm going to write about it. I'm going to write books and articles on how to practically live like Jesus and develop those, as what Shane called them earlier, holy habits. If you like what you heard on this season and want to join me on this journey, head to JesusHacks.com thanks for a free gift from me. Consider it a thank you for following me so far. Also, before I end the season, I just have to give my thanks to Information Systems Integration. This season would not have been possible without the support of Information Systems Integration. They are the premier managed service provider for all your information technology needs. They provide IT solutions that are customized for you, including content marketing, information security, many other products and services coupled with 24-7 concierge-level support. So if you need IT help to improve your business, upgrade your IT provider today with the proven integrity and expertise of information systems integration. Visit isicg.com faith for more information. So once again, thanks for listening and stay tuned to Jesus Hacks to hear more from me.